It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 149 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast, brought to you in association with Sports Social, the UK's only dedicated sports podcast network. And also, Fanatics, it's the, the night after the the very late Sunday night before, uh, as we record today, uh, where Everton's seven-game unbeaten run came to an end. The Goodison Park to a uh, you know pretty informed and pretty after since Manchester United side, which we're going to get into very very shortly. But delighted to say, being joined today by a uh, by a couple of guests on the uh, on the show. First of all, uh, from Sport Witness, Sean Lunch. Sean, I've never spoken for for a while on the show. How, how are you going, mate? You, you good? I'm good, thank you. Yourself. Oh, very good, mate. Yeah, yeah. Besides, obviously, what happened, uh, what happened last night. But no, all, all good, mate. So, looking forward to, to discussing that and, and much, much more. Uh, and also, Max Carlisle. Max, obviously, been on the show a few times in the past, in the past as well. How are you, Max? Uh, did you enjoy, um, enjoy the game last night? Yes, I did go <laughs> the game last night. Uh, I enjoyed the the little fanfare aspect of it beforehand because uh, <laughs> every time Everton fans have arranged that previously, I've been working the game, so I've never actually been able to take part in it so that was an enjoyable experience but aside from the result mate yes all good um thanks for having me on the show again and sean it's nice to speak to you mate because i believe we haven't spoke before so i'm looking forward to it yeah one yes. of them know each other by face and their name but not beaten personally so hmm. that's it's all, all about making connections isn't it on this show hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you see names and you see faces sometimes on the on social media but it's, it's always good to to discuss the blues with, with obviously uh, with, with different people. Um, so I mean, straight into it, really. As I said, you know the the seven game unbeaten run has ended. Um, it was it was a funny game for me, wasn't it? Really, if, if you think back, Sean. Obviously, we Everton started the game, the house on fire. You know, within the first five minutes or so, Alex Iwobi, um puts the ball into the into the top corner, and you know we started with with a real intensity. Obviously. The, the tackle from Anana led to the goal in the middle of midfield. Um, and you think, you know, we're, we're looking, you know, we're going to continue this this unbeaten run. 
Um, but from that moment, really, we 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 sat off, didn't we? And and things uh, things unravelled a little bit, didn't we? From uh, after that first goal. Yeah, it was. Um, I think Everton caught themselves off guard. I don't think Everton had planned to start the game as they did. I don't think they thought they'd get a goal that early kickoff, and then he didn't know what to do with it once they'd done it. There was no game plan in place for, oh, we've got an early goal, let's go and get another one and a, maybe a third one and kill the game off early. Because I don't think Everton are very good at that anyway. And by sitting off, we we sort of let United control the tempo, control the pace, get themselves back, reset. And you saw it in the analysis last night on Match of the Day. You're talking about Casemiro. He made the mistake for the first go for Everton's goal and then completely dominated the midfield for the rest of the game, set on it and set the pace. And I think that was the problem. Everton never built on that early uh, initiative that they got themselves. That, yeah, I think, I think you're right, to be honest with you. And I think almost, like you say, that, that goal you know, being so early, it was almost a bit of a case in a way. Uh, we always say about you know scoring at the right time as well as trying to get the first goal. And I just think, you know, I always think back to, we were saying last night, me, me and obviously the lads and Lee was there, obviously, of course. And, um, think back to that FA Cup final against Chelsea when Saha scored so early, and you think yeah. do it, do it in the 90th, not the first, you know. Uh, but last night was one of those occasions, and we almost did, didn't we, Max? It was almost as if we, we weren't too sure. Then we've gone ahead early. What do we do to defend that without being, you know, sort of uh, sitting too deep? And, and we we got lost a bit, didn't we? Yes, we did. Um... It was. It was a, ultimately it was a frustrating night. Um, from an Everton perspective, it always is disappointing when you go a goal in front and ultimately end up losing that game. Um, but however, I do think it's got to be said from an objective standpoint when you look at the balance of play and in particular the quality of the chances that were made. Um, I've got to say I do think United probably edged and deserved the win. Um, They've got players with the technical ability. I'm talking the likes of your Ericsson, your Bruno Fernandes, and your Anthony Martial even um, to find space in between the lines. And they've got you know that decisive um, ball when it matters uh, at important times, which I do possibly think Everton, this current group of players, lack, which is something that they could certainly work on. And then of course they've got the likes of Ronaldo, Anthony, uh, and even Rashford as well, who excel in those one v one situations. Uh, duels and the ability to finish when called upon, which uh, ultimately were, were decisive in determining the outcome of the game. I, I definitely agree on that point, Max. About uh, I said to you, Mike, after the game, didn't I? I thought Ericsson was the best player on the pitch. Mm. Uh, and when he came, when he played against his obviously for Brentford, uh, I know obviously we were down to ten men in that game. He was outstanding in that game as well. So, yeah, he obviously had a lot more time then because he was obviously playing against ten, but. Him and Casemiro, like Sean alluded to before, just basically, you know, you could tell they were two season pros playing at the highest level. They pretty much controlled the pace of the game, especially first half. I know, look, we were at fault. Mike, I know you're going to talk about the goals. We were obviously victims of our own downfall for both goals, really. Sloppy errors. But, um, you know, you've got to give, sometimes you've got to take your hat off to the opposition. You've got to say that, you know, United, goal down. Let's have it right as well. The atmosphere was bouncing after a Wobi scored a cracking goal there. Um, what a moment for the lad, by the way. For a good three or four minutes, the whole stadium was on its feet shouting a Wobi. I mean, what a great moment for him. I love that. But then we seemed to just play at the pace that the crowd was setting then. We sort of played at 100 mile an hour for about five or six minutes. And you could see Cody and Onana almost going, calm down. 
can't, can't get your foot on it. We're get, we're getting carried away. We're playing at the speed that the crowds the crowd's dictating. So, mm. but then after that, United just got on the ball. Um, I'd love to have known the tactics beforehand, but looking into it, we did score early. And then I think the tactics all along were just to let them come on to us and try and counter with pace with Gordon and uh, Gray. But obviously, we just couldn't get out of our own half, could we? I mean, they penned us in. We were basically launching it up to Mope, who had no chance against two centre-halves with his stature. Um, and, you know, as I said, sometimes you've just got to give credit to the opposition. I thought United, first half especially, probably the best they've played this season in the, in the matches I've seen them, seen them play. You know, they they really they create. You know, they could have scored. Let's be honest, Casemiro misses the sitter. You know, they, they could have scored maybe three or four, and and that's against a team who going into the game was the best defense in the league, and had only conceded two goals in one game um, once before that. You know what I mean? So they scored two in one half. I think we said, though, didn't we, about the, I mean, obviously stats can always be deceiving and we conceded, obviously, the least prior to, to last night's game. Obviously, you have to look at the underlying stats as well and, and Everton were conceding good opportunities and obviously at times it was a lot, a lot of the time it's last-ditch blocks, it's Jordan Pickford being on form, which has stopped us conceding goals and that's something which we need to sort of address as a side as well. You know, yes, conceding goals, we haven't conceded a great deal but there are underlying things which still, as much as we've looked to, to address our defensive issues, there's still things, obviously, for, for them to work on. But I think when we scored the goal and we talk about, obviously, players were, were, were trying to get everyone else to sort of just calm themselves down, I think almost the players, you said last night, Lee Dinny on, on, on the way home, about they, they fed off the, the energy of, the, of the, the crowd almost too much. So because, obviously, it was fever pitch, obviously, everyone's in love with Alex Iwobi, aren't they, of course? So... If anyone could score last night and score that kind of goal, you want it to be him because his play this season has certainly deserved, deserved a goal of that stature. And I think because it was like that, because the fans were so up, the players then didn't really control their emotions. And that's where mistakes, I thought, that's why mistakes were creeping in, in my opinion. I mean, you know, you, you look at, at both goals, Sean, and it's unlike both, you know, Jesus Gana Gate. I think that's it was his first mistake leading to a goal. Um, going back, I mean, since he was last in Everton, going back many, many years, um, but including his time at PSG as well. So it shows you, doesn't it, how how even our better players can have off days. But both him and Abou be both guilty of, you know, giving the ball away in a central area, which put us under, under real pressure. Yeah, it, it's, it's going back to that point of the fed on the ground too much, as they were all trying to do everything a little bit too quickly. Mm-hmm. And they get they get high. I I think part of it is an exper inexperience, not with with Garnagay, but the rest of the young players and on and people like that. They they try and they pick up on it, and then they want to do everything a hundred mile an hour, and that's not Everton's game. They're not good enough to do that at the minute. And if you're doing that and you're pushing yourself up the pitch, you're leaving yourself open to those to those counter attacks that Man United want to play. That's why they've got the likes of Anthony in there to do that. And those mistakes come from that desperate need to 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 give the crowd what they're wanting. And I, I don't know if... I, I sort of portion some of the blame to Lampard as well because I don't think he's a good enough manager as yet to bring his side back and be tactical enough to do what he wants them to do and not just play on the emotions. And it feeds back into last season and playing on the emotions re- worked really well for Everton, but it can't work every single week. Some weeks you have got to be better tactically to avoid mistakes like that from those players. And I mean, there was even... Just Mikelenko dribbled out the box, the goal that got disallowed in the end. He's dribbling yeah. out of there for no reason. 
if we'll be giving the ball away. He's overconfident because he scored, so he's he's over dribble and he's doing things that he doesn't need to do. And I think it all just did tie into that Everton doing things that he shouldn't be doing because they were overhyped, over overexcited. It's probably the way it's like a dog chasing a car. They got it and they've chased it, and now what do we do? We're just going to keep doing that again. We're going to keep running and running, and it doesn't work. It sometimes you need to step back, and I think that was where United's players came into it. Because I said about Casemiro, he calmed Everton down for them. Whereas, whereas their defensive midfielder, who's obviously 70 million, one of the best midfielders to have played the game in that position, he calmed United down and they had their tactical and Everton didn't have that. They had gone again, made the mistakes and it, it all spiralled from there, really. Yeah, that game that game was always, or last night's game, and I think Lampard semi alluded to it himself, it was always going to be a, um, a litmus test for us. It's a tide that's seven games unbeaten. You know, in a little bit of form. Okay, a lot of those games are draws, but we've looked a lot more solid. But we've played. We're playing against a United team. We've had a good start to the season. Ten Hag's got his hands on that team. You know, what I mean that this that, that's certainly the best United team I've seen at Goodison for a good few years. By the way, in terms of how well they were set up, the quality of player on the pitch. So it was always going to be like, where are we now? And and and, and you know, whilst we've had a reasonable start to the season and we've definitely looked a lot more solid, you can see that United is still obviously on that other level. They're on that other level in terms of calibre of player. We know that anyway. The money they spend every window is ridiculous. You know, they've got, you know, 80, 100 million pound winger, 70 million pound defensive midfielder. Jaden Sancho's 85 million, not even in the team. You know what I mean? So they, they spend a stupid amount of money. So, but um, it was always going to be that test for us and, and to see where we're at. And, and we pretty much found out where we're at uh, at the end of the game, didn't we? Let, let's not forget as well, this is Man United who were desperate to bounce back after getting battered by their fiercest exactly. rivals last week. Mm-hmm. So the motivation exactly. was there for them anyway. I don't think any of us are going to argue that Eric Ten Hag is a better manager than Frank Lampard. He's, he's got more tactical experience. He's a better tactical manager at this point in their two careers than it is anyway. That factors into it. More <laughs> experienced players. And this is also an evidence side that's still gelling together. I mean, you've got yeah. James Coleman comes in who shouldn't be playing anyway, but he's got to because our right back's been injured. These are two centre backs of a brand new partnership. A left back who's only been in the country since January. The midfield is a brand new midfield from last season. The forwards is a brand new forwards. One of the wingers, uh, Anthony Gordon's come back in from, from being injured. He wasn't at it at all. And uh, you've got uh, Damari Gray on the left who's what, one, one good game in five sort of player. So it's a team that's still gelling, whereas Man United had that experience to get over that sort of thing. And then you bring Ronaldo off the bench and he scores anyway. Like, who were Everton are bringing a half at Dominic Calvert-Lewin off the bench. There's mm. there's reasons why Everton lose that game and it's not all Everton's fault. Yeah, of course. And, that, and that's what we need to obviously look at. And, and we are going to discuss, obviously, in a bit more detail after after the break about about that side of things and, you know, the the reality of the situation and the fact that, OK, just because we turn this this mini corner, it doesn't mean that we can expect to go into each and every game of Goodison Park, especially, uh, and expect the players to perform to a particular level and win against quality sides. It doesn't happen. And, and like we've said, you know, we, we've got to give credit to the opposition. But like you said, Sean, and you know, they, they've spent city money on a lot of players. You know, they, they're bringing in, they bring Ronaldo off the bench. You know, when when Martial gets injured. You know, you've got Anthony sitting there. He was he was bought, bought for a hundred million quid. You know, Casemiro. You said before has won multiple Champions Leagues. You know, it's just it's just an absolute farce in terms of you know what we're trying to compete against. So obviously, a lot of factors as to why we didn't win the game. But I think I think probably the, the dis- disappointing thing really 
from probably our viewpoint was after that first five minutes, the the game took a particular pattern and it stayed that way until pretty much near, you know, the 85th minute or so. Obviously, great news and great to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin back, Max, obviously back on the pitch, first time this season. Every single time he was out warming up, you could see another fans around me were getting edgy and, you know, calling for Lampard to get him on. <clears throat> He knows he's got a wrapping in cotton wool. He knows how many minutes he's probably got on his legs. He's got to be careful. Um, but it was great, Max, wasn't it? You know, to, to get him on because, you know, Neil Mopé, let's, let's get it right. He's been great for us. He's been, and, you know, especially that first game against Liverpool where he hadn't played any football. He comes in and plays a full 90 minutes. But the ball wasn't sticking. And if you're going to try and change the course of the game, we had to do something different. So to get Dominic Calvert-Lewin back on, Doing what he does well, he was hanging in the air, he was bringing players in, he was a bit of a nuisance in the box, and maybe should have scored to be honest with you late, late on. It was good to see him back, wasn't it? And hopefully, now, fingers crossed, that's the end of this this injury nightmare for him for the time being. Yeah, you'd certainly like to hope so. And just to almost add on the, the add, add to the conversation in regards to Lampard's tactical choices, I did find it quite interesting that he put him up. With Mopé um, as a as a two almost, it'd be interesting to see how that develops over time, and of course that be that is dependent on Dominic Calvert Lewin's fitness. But I, I agree to an extent with portioning some of the blame to Lampard. Obviously, you know, we don't, he knows just how many minutes Dominic Calvert Lewin is capable of at this moment in time. But like many of the fans, I was pressing for that change to be made earlier, to have that focal point at the top of the pitch if we are launching the ball up front and almost to create that better calibre of chance which we were lacking against Manchester United. Um, you know, in comparison where Manchester United often, you know, fashioned 1v1s or or real clear-cut chances, Everton were almost hooking the ball into the box and nobody would be on the end of it. Um, I, just in... In reflection to the game, uh, I saw a quote from Lampard explaining how the, turn, uh, the, the turnover of possession will be costly against a team like United, which, you know, for all their flaws, uh, I think particularly defensively, like we've said, you know, a couple of times already, the calibre of player they've got going forward is well-class. Uh, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Um, so... For the mistakes to be made from, you know, a usual, usually dependent player in Adrissa Garner Gay and uh, and Alex Awobi, who's been in a good vein of form, um, it is just just really misfortunate. Um, and I think as a whole, in particular, the midfield will be disappointed in that they didn't perform to the level that they know that they're capable of. But at the same time, I know Sean mentioned earlier, this is a Manchester United team coming off the back of that heavy defeat to Manchester City. Um, we saw that they beat Liverpool following their big defeat, the 4-0 defeat against Brentford. So I was, I did have in the back of my mind, this is possibly the worst time for Everton to be playing Manchester United. But all things considered, it's not a result that I'm going to lose any sleep over. I think it's one of those instances where, you know, we go back, we analyse, we reflect and we learn from the defeat and go again next time out. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree with that, mate. I totally agree with that. I think, um, you know, there's reasons to be positive about our football club right now. 
You know what I mean? It wasn't that long ago there was massive toxicity between fans and players, massive toxicity between fans and manager. You know, you know, Lampard's come in. It was an absolute, you know, show. We know that. Uh, he's managed to steady the team. He's managed to, you know, keep us up by the skin of our teeth. And now, you know, he's now going to try and obviously build his own side. On the whole, the window was a strong window. On the whole, yes, we need more goals on the side. I think we all know that. But, you know, we can't address everything in one window. It's almost impossible. So as far as windows go, we've managed to shift a lot of players that we would all would agree should have been going out of the club. And we've brought in some, you know, a mixture of talent, of young talent and obviously experienced players and the likes of Gay and Cody and Tarkovsky and people like that. So overall, it's a solid window. We look a lot more solid as a club. Lampard, yeah, you know, as you alluded to there, Sean, he's a young manager. He's learning his way in the game. He's not the finished article by any means. What we know of Lampard as a player is that he made himself the best possible player he can be. Lampard, in terms of natural talent, was not on the same level as a Scholes or a Gerrard, but he made himself that level by pure hard work and determination and being probably the most professional player he could possibly be. I think Lampard as a manager, and from what I've heard as well, is that type of guy. He will literally work his absolute arse off to make his, himself the best manager he can be as well. And look, hopefully it'll work at our club. You know, the signs of the signs of fruition there in, in terms of what he's trying to do. But he will learn as he goes along as well. You know, I mean, he's as we said, he's not the finished article. But there's plenty of shoots there for me to see that actually we're going in the right direction. And like you, Max, I'm not going to lose sleep over this one. It was a test to see where we're at. United played well as well, and let's not take that away. Second half, we gave it more of a go. You know, second half, we had 10 shots to their four second half. So we were much better second half without being brilliant, but we were much better. And I thought Lampard's comments after the game were absolutely bob on when he actually said that himself. He said, look, there's still things I knew that were wrong going into this game, even though we were unbeaten, that I know we need to improve, namely how we press and press as a collective, and also how, how good are we in possession of the ball. And we showed both of those things yesterday, both those frailties. We weren't great in possession of the ball, you know, and we were forced to go long to a, a guy that's probably what no bigger than five foot nine. You know what I mean? So if we are, if Dom was fit, fully fit, and he would have started, I think we probably would have caused him a lot more problems because he would have occupied two centre halves a lot better than Mope would have done. But he wasn't. We are where we are, and he did make a difference when he came on. Just, yeah. just to add to that, and I think Max was saying about this with, with Calvert-Lewin coming on so late as well, one of my big problems with Lampard at the minute is he doesn't seem to adapt to games. So he will let games run and run and run, and his substitutions can be very late or disorganised, sort of. There's no sort of plan B. Now, I, I don't mean this to sound like I'm criticising him in any way, but if that was one big development I would want from him, it would be that. And I think that it was, it was shown again last night in that Everton didn't make their changes quickly enough when it was obvious that Manchester United were controlling the game. They didn't have anything to change it. They did, it was just, let's just lump it up. Let's put Calvert-Lewin up there with Mopey and see what happens. And there needs to be more of that from him for me. I love Lampard and I agree with Everton Lee has said there. I think Everton's perfectly fine with Everton. But that would be my one big criticism is I think he doesn't do enough to affect games when we're not in control of them. But that might just be because of what he's got available to him in, in truth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I think I that's fair. None of us would know. None, none of us would know how fit Dom was. I mean, I, I was like you, mate. I, I was calling for Dom even to come on at half time, to be honest, because we could all see that we were struggling to get out. We were struggling to make the ball stick. But he clearly probably only had 15 minutes in his legs. He did, it's a really weird one with Dom. Um, I was talking with Baz from Toffee TV. He sits in the same area in the upper Bullens. And 
you know, the problem is with Dom is that he's had that many injuries now. He's had that many setbacks when he's come back from injuries. It then becomes mental. And when it becomes mental, you're in a, you're in a situation almost like Sturridge was at Liverpool where you feel like you're going to pull it with an injury. He needs to play now about 15, 20 consecutive games with no injuries to almost convince himself he's not going to pull up with an injury. Because then it does become, a, you know, it's almost, it is like a, a mental test for him more than a physical one, really. Now, hopefully he stays fit because we all know Dom, when he's fully fit and he's shown it, the guy can score goals. You know what I mean? So, and we have got players in the team who have got capabilities of finding Dom. Um, we've just got to make sure that hopefully, you know, he can get a run of, as I said, 15, 20 games without getting injured. I think that's and that's the key thing, isn't it, with 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 Dom? Um, is it is the mental side of it now? You know, it's 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 trusting his body uh, to be a professional footballer's body once again. He's had so much bad luck. You know, with the injuries that he's had this season had nothing to do with what he had last season. You know, you'd think, oh, we, you know, he's broken down again. It's the same thing, and it's not. And and he, you know, he's got to, He's got to almost reset his mind and and get himself in a in a good place mentally to be able to then kick on. And obviously, hopefully, you know, be able to play 15, 20 consecutive games. Um, I think if, if we if we can get through the, the games now until the World Cup break unscathed, you know, building up as he goes, you know, obviously 15, 20 minutes or so last night, can he give us half an hour against Spurs, etc. It just build himself up nicely like that, and he, he comes through okay. Then hopefully, then that will be enough for him to have that little break, you know, five, six weeks, um, and then obviously. Go again into the uh, into the second half of the season. Um, yeah, just quickly, just quickly. Well, I'm, I wanted to get your guys' opinion as well. Obviously, at the game, um, obviously we made two stupid mistakes that let, obviously led to one on ones that led to goals. But I, I, I felt Pickford certainly for the Anthony one. I, you know, Anthony scored a very similar goal against Arsenal. He telegraphed it. He opened his body up. He's all one foot. We know <clears> that. <throat> He's only all day going to bend that in the far corner. I know he got a hand to it, and I know he nearly saved it, but. The point is he still scored. Then I looked at the Ronaldo one. And I've seen the replay since. It was obviously a very tight angle. And he, he's almost hit it through Pickford in a way. I mean, it's gone near post, obviously. You know, but the ball almost ended up in the middle of the net. Now, Ronaldo's a top finisher. We know that. You know, he's, a, mm-hmm. he's world-class. He's shown that. But it'd be interesting to get... I mean, look, I, I am not knocking Jordan whatsoever. He's been absolute class for us, uh, you know, ever since Ancelotti got onto him about, you know, working on, 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 his, on his game mentally, especially. Um, and he's been brilliant for his, you know what I mean? He really has. Um, and, you know, he was put in those situations by obviously our mistakes, but I just felt he probably could have done a little bit better with both. Mike, you're obviously a, obviously a resident keeper here, but I mean, do you agree with that or disagree? It's funny because we spoke about it, didn't we, last night? And where I sit in, in the paddock, I'm, I'm right in the corner by the Travis Street. So from my angle, I couldn't really make out, obviously, exactly where Pickford was there. You just think, and he's opened his body up. He's bent it in the far corner. Like Lee said, it's what you would do in that position. You know, he cuts inside, obviously, on the right-hand side onto his left foot. Uh, now, for me, players at that, that level, if they see you sort of force, force in one way, then they can quite easily whip, whip it into the near side if they want to because they're that good a player. And Anthony's one of those players. So... I think the, the issue is because it was it was a thread, wasn't it, which which has since come to light. But to be fair, you you did, you did say it was on the way on last night about this about this situation with Pickford. But mm-hmm. a thread from um, John Harrison on Twitter, who does a bit of work for the Athletic, you might have seen it today, and I thought it was really really informative. And and basically, it, it it's almost as if he's got a 
an algorithm, if you like, which which determines basically goalkeepers' positions and how they affect the percentage of, of chance of the the attacker scoring a goal by what position that they're in. And he and the, the swing bit from what Pickford if he would have gone basically uh, in a different position um, than what he was in. It, it was amazing how much you know it, it makes it makes a big difference. So I think I think what I would say is, as a goalkeeper, he was exposed more well more than twice, but he was he was exposed twice for those two goals. And you've got to make a split second decision about what you're going to do. He was left wide open, um, and you know he's thinking, what's the best way to deal with it? And he thinks he's got his position right. And obviously, any slight you know centimetre difference, a few centimetres here and there can make all the difference. So it's not about supporting and blame, but I, I get your point. I see your point in terms of, if you look at the replay and you look at where Pickford finds himself, you know, you think, what, what are you doing there? It's probably more for me the Ronaldo goal, to be yeah. honest with you, more mm. than the other one, I think. The, the Ronaldo one, I think he'd be disappointed with. I know Ronaldo's absolutely smashed it at him with his left foot, but it's gone quite sensible. And you know he doesn't get anything anything on it, and I think maybe there he's right on the edge of his six yard box, isn't he? On the corner of his six yard box, and it makes it that bit easier and gives Ronaldo more goal to to actually aim at. So it's it's a funny one, isn't it? But that really interests me that seeing how slight adjustments can make such a big difference to an attacker's chance of scoring a goal. Um, and if, you, if you've not seen the thread, I'd please, you know, have, have a little look at it because you know it is interesting. It's not not often that you see goalkeepers probably analysed in such detail, especially for for those obviously those common folk here. Uh, but if you have, have a little look at it at JD Harrison one on Twitter and follow that thread along. But um, yeah, it's you know Jordan Pickford's been has been very very good for eighteen months. All goalkeepers, all players, you know, make miscalculations, you know, by by split seconds and. And by, by centimeters, and it can have this kind of impact. But like we said, you know, they, they created so many chances anyway, especially first half. We were lucky to probably to go in only two one down and could have found ourselves further behind uh, on, on another day. So um not not a portion of blame to Jordan Pick for that, that's for sure. But really interesting thread to, to have a little read of. Uh, but it's a game that I say we're keen to put that one to bed. It's uh, a reflection of where we are as a side. And we've touched on it already. Lee mentioned a few things there about obviously the the squad and the window and and you know how we have sort of come on. But obviously it was very much back to reality last night after seven games unbeaten. And we're going to discuss that and obviously reflect on things uh, with a bit more balance after our first break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Welcome back to the second part of today's Unholy Trinity podcast. And like like I said, just before the break, it's it's very much a case of now, now we have lost that game. Now the unbeaten run that we had has is now gone. It's about looking and, and taking stock of, of where we are. And I think almost we, we can, as a fan base, all fans do it, of course, in every club, you, you start to get a bit complacent in terms of, you know, Frank's cracked it. We're going to be fighting for European places this season, no problem. Uh, whereas, you know, as we saw last night, when you come up against a good quality side and a much improved side in Manchester United, you, you've got you, you've got to then look at, OK, well, we've lost that game. How have we lost it? Why have we lost it? Could we have done any better? Um, but, Max, it's a reflection of where we currently are, isn't it? Frank Lampard alluded to this progression. Uh, progression is not linear. You don't go up in, in a straight line, that's for sure. Every every club goes through peaks and troughs, and you know he, he alluded to that. And and I think as fans, we're quite understanding of it, aren't we? Because a, a really interesting thing happened at the end of the game last night for me, which I thought, which which it's it's, it's quite touching, really. Yeah, Everton fans sang sang the club's name, got beat two one. The players were going round. The players got applauded. They sang, as I say, they sang the club's name, um, and it's good. It's good to see, isn't it? Really, that fans are understanding of this journey that we're on with Frank Lampard, this development that we're going through, and seems to be understanding that we can and we will have blips and more blips in the road as we as we go along. Most definitely, and what a difference that makes from the toxicity around the club under Lampard's predecessor um, and some of the antics that went on following some of those results. But I, I'm, I'm glad Lee mentioned that before about the current sort of structure of the club in terms of um, you know playing personnel and the direction of which the club is headed in. Because the last time I spoke to you guys, um, we labelled the group of Everton players at that time somewhat of a Frankenstein squad. A Frankenstein squad, sorry, meaning that the, the bulk of players were assembled and brought in by various different managers and, and subsequent regimes, be that, you know, Ronald Koeman and Steve Walsh or Carlo Ancelotti and Marcel Brands. And touching on what you said there, Mike, what we've seen from this current group of Everton players is the sort of cohesion and type of character Evertonians would have hoped to have seen, I would say, following the initial investment um, from 2016. Um, I'm talking in particular about the likes of Connor Cody and James Tarkowski, who, for better or for worse, have been, you know, adopted the moniker of Everton dads, um, which shows the type of responsibility um, that they have taken amongst this current group of players, which I think Everton have been crying out for for a number of years as natural leaders. Um, and alongside that, we've Everton have also brought in the profile of player that suits that sort of long-term project, which Lampard is hoping to steer. Um, I'm talking the likes of Nathan Patterson and Amadou Onana, um, who fans have taken to due to their sort of commitment to the cause and ability that they've shown in glimpses. However, touching on what you guys were saying earlier about the amount of money that Manchester United have spent, and you could also aim this in the direction of Spurs as well, who we are coming up against. Uh, the downside to all this is that you know Everton are in a much weaker position than their competitors from I would say around the 2010s. Um, 
as I said, this is the position that I feel Everton should have been in around 2017-ish, bringing those, bringing in that calibre and profile of player. But, you know, mistakes have been made in terms of investment uh, and players that have been brought in. However, we've sort of, you know, we've steered the mess. We've got a lot of players off the books who weren't contributing anywhere near what they should have done, considering the wages that they were taking up. And as a whole, I do feel like Everton are now finally going in the right direction. Like like, like we said before, you know, we, we made a comparison with who uh, was on the bench for Manchester United and who they could bring on. You know, Sean said before, obviously, about Frank Lampard and making changes and substitutions. And as much as the, the bench, obviously, for Everton was, was stronger than it, than a lot of previous games, um, especially at the start of the season and last season. It's still not all the way there, is it? We still look at players that weren't included last night. Um, obviously, Yerry Meaner and, and uh, Mason Holgate are back in training, which which is obviously clearly a positive. There's there's two more defensive players that maybe at times, you know, uh, if we want to try and see a game out, they can come on. You've obviously got Nathan Patterson, who started the season particularly well, who, who's not on the bench. The Corey wasn't on the bench last night from this. That was my eyesight test. I didn't see him. I'm not, not quite sure what's going on there. I haven't heard anything. Whether it's it's just, you know, he, he's working his way back his knee from injury as well. Um, but then you look at obviously other players. I thought James Garner, by the way, came on and had, had, a, had a really good cameo. Uh, we were speaking po- post match and I think he looked, looks a really, really tidy player. And you can understand why the manager. Uh, was gave him a, a glowing, glowing reference in the in the pre-match press conference because you look at him and, and technically he looks very, very good. And I think we're going to see a lot more of him, even you know over the next next few weeks or so um, before the season closes closes down for a few weeks before the World Cup. I think he's going to grow into into the side. To be honest with you, but but Sean, what 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 do you think? And obviously you mentioned there about Frank Lampard, and he's very much learning on the job, isn't he? Let let's get it right. He's He's had a, a few jobs in his time. Obviously, the, the Derby job, Chelsea, um, which he was a bit of a freak. As I always say that when he, when he was approached for the job because they couldn't sign any players. Uh, so he's very much learning on the job. You've got a lot of lot of new players, younger players coming through and, and being brought in to that side. So a lot, a lot of learning and a lot of, lot of gelling and cohesion to, to do. But obviously, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't get too downhearted when we lose a game to, to Manchester United, should we? Because it is a reflection of where we currently are and doesn't alter our direction overall anyway. No, not at all. Everton's season is not built on games against the top six. It's just not because we're not there. We're not. If we get a point against Liverpool, it's a great result. If we get a point away to Arsenal or someone, it's a great result and that's how it should be. Some, and I like what the point you're saying about the Everton fans singing after the game because it shows that at least the match-going fans fully understand where Everton are and what path they're on. They're at the beginning of the journey, they're not in the middle of it or the end of it where they've developed. They are, it's a reset. This summer was a complete reset for Everton. And even in, as you're saying, the manager is inexperienced. Two of their centre midfielders, I, I won't be wasn't a centre midfielder this time last year. Let's not forget. Anon has started 11 league games for Lille last season. He's, he's inexperienced. He's just come on leaps and bounds. Dwight McNeil comes off the bench, he's only 22 and he's been at Burnley. What development has he enjoyed? You know, Nathan Patterson, who's out injured again, and he's inexperienced. This is his first full season. Michalenko, first full season in the Premier League. This is a team that's to be developed. And if, if as you say, with Lampard, 
Derby was there for one year, worked with players he knew in Mason Mount from Chelsea's youth, went to Chelsea, couldn't buy any players, so worked with the youth, Tomori, Mount, players he knew. And then when he threw all the players at them, he didn't. he's never had a year where he's been able to develop his team and build that team. And that's what everyone is doing with him now. So they're going to develop together and there are going to be bumps in the roads. But I don't particularly think a loss to Manchester United is a bump in the roads. I'm more disappointed by losing to Aston Villa because I don't think they're any better than us. But that was early in the season. We didn't have a striker. If we lose mm. to them this week, if it was if we lost to Aston Villa last night, we won at home, I'd be disappointed and concerned. But Manchester United with their million pound signings and, a, as I've said, a better manager and whatever else, I'm not too concerned about that. But there is, for me, now I'm not a match going Everton fan. I haven't been. I'd love to be, but it doesn't work out that way for me. So I watch it. I watch us wherever way I can. There is a difference between match going fans like yourselves and Everton fans on the internet, because the match day fans, <laughs> the match day fans who go understand the slow process and can see it live. But I feel a lot of Everton fans sometimes get a little bit carried away with themselves, and have sort of forgotten how bad we were last year. <laughs> you know, we we were never going to jump from narrowly avoiding relegation to top ten. Let's get to Europe in a season where you've got rid of what was it eight or nine players and brought the same amount in in the end or five or six or seven. It's it's not going to happen. It doesn't work because a lot of football is built on that cohesion, cohesion and partnerships and and development. So it's just one of them where you've got to accept there will be bumps in the roads. There'll be really good weeks. There'll be really bad weeks. Get on with it. And for me, I, I know I don't know if I'm completely unambitious or not. If Everton finished 10th, 11th, 12th, I'm happy with that after last season. <laughs> if I'm not going into every weekend worried about Everton playing Derby next year in the Championship or Sunderland or someone, I don't care. I'm happy. And then next year, because, you know, you always say about these managers, the first year is the development year. And they give that to every manager. Klopp had a first year at Liverpool. Oh, it doesn't matter if it's his first development year. All of them get that, but we never give that to an Everton manager. They've got to finish 6th or 7th, 8th every year. Why? We, there's no pay, we need patience and I think Everton should have learned their lessons by now by trying to rush under Mashiri to get to that let's give them a bit of time and patience now and let them develop properly without that pressure and that's a brilliant point that Sean I think mean, that's a brilliant point and it's a point we've we've talked about on the podcast as well in the past about expectations need to be managed yeah you know I mean and and you know, you only have to look at uh, you know a former blue in Arteta. I mean, he's he's nearly been sacked about five times in that job at Arsenal, and, and half of the time that's the press that are on him trying to get rid of him because they've lost three out of four games against top sides or something like that. So, you know, look at him now. They've stuck. They've stood by him. They've backed him financially. He's got his ideas across to the team. He's built a young team at that club, and and look look they're they're bearing the fruit of that now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's identically going to happen at Everton. By the way, I'm not comparing the two managers, but what I'm saying is. Sometimes you've got to stick by a manager, like we are, you know, we are doing now with Lampard. He's created a unity with the fan base. That's massive. We know that. Everton fans are some of the best fans in the world. I'm not just saying that because I'm on an Everton podcast. They are. We sell out away from home every single time. Look at them at Southampton last week. Train strike. Absolutely filled the away end out. You know what I mean? Unbelievable support. And they're not stupid. You know, they're not stupid. Most fans are not stupid. So, you know, in, in that respect, I think most fans now have bought into Lampard. Like we've said on previous podcasts, I think he carries himself well. I think he speaks well. I think he says the right things at the right time. And us as fans are on this journey now with him. And I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that, you know, he will improve as a manager just as we improve as a team. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with, with, all, with all the points. Um, 
Although when you say Masco and fans, some of the shouts I hear by me in the paddock, and I, I do question <laughs> times, I've, got, I've got to be honest, you know, some of the things people come out with are absolutely comical. And that's, I don't even mean the seven-year-old behind me. And there's just some absolute lunatics in there. Um, but I, I had a belter next to me. I'll, I'll say this one. I had a belter next to me. So when the United were constantly wasting time on those goal kicks, we were all we all know what was going on with the hair, and obviously it was getting absolutely mad. Some guy, I think he was behind me or whatever, was shouting at Mope, "Get in the box and close the hair down." I was like, "Bet you can't go in the box, mate." Yeah, he can. He's making him go long, and I was just like, "Oh, God. all right, okay." Right. I think I think the seven pm kickoff on a Sunday allowed for. For a little bit of extra drinking time, which certainly clouded some people's judgments and understanding oh, of the game, didn't yeah. it? Because it was uh, it was strange, strange last night. Some of the things that were being said, but but you guys, I think I think the understanding is there, and that's every time I go on our show, other shows, and you know the the, the writing and the doing things like that, I always try and get to get that point across that you know because of what we what we've seen so often um in some of the main mainstream sport media in regards to Lampard and this pressure and it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist at the moment. So let, let's get it right because there's an understanding what I can make out at the club and also within the fan base that we understand it's going to take a bit of time. We're sick and tired of obviously going through managers, you know, one 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 or two every single season. It just doesn't work. And, and we know we've got to try and build this now and and look to to move forward and, and kick on, but it's it's a slow it's a slow process. So we, we we all get it, and that's that that's that's the key thing to understand, and and that's why it was just great to see last night that you know I know some some people walked out when United scored that third goal that was disallowed. I thought it was quite funny, and all of a sudden when he found out it was disallowed, everyone just come come running back in again, which I thought was quite quite comical. I think some of them were probably halfway down, Bullens Road at one point, and he's and he legged it back in through the big uh, the big wooden doors, but. It's uh, it's just good. It, it it's you still get that that feel good factor, and and it does it does help that the fans are, are on board with manager and players. You know, you we do feel like that little bit more of a connection towards towards the players as well, uh, which which is also vitally yeah. important. I, I just to add to that, Mike, as well. I think obviously in terms of play, like on uh, the you know the playing face of the club, in terms of the, you know the players that are registered to the club. The manager, the playing staff, uh, even the board to an extent, uh, you know, in terms of a, a you know, a sporting club and, and performance in that regard, it's very much a transitional period for Everton, but also for the club as an organisation as a whole, we are literally relocating from Goodison Park to Bramley Moor Dock, you know, within the next year or two. So this transitional period for Everton Football Club is huge. So in order to have, you know. A cohesive unit in terms of fans, players, coaching staff, or is huge in terms of this move from Goodison Park to Bramley Moor. So, touch wood, going forward, this cohesive nature around the club at the moment can sustain itself ahead of some massive years for the club. Uh, just to add some, that's a good point as well. Point, there, point, I, I actually think that it is really important. If you think of Everton this summer, even just to, just look at the playing squad, they've built the base of what they can build on in the future. So you've got an Arn who's young, two years time when they when they move in the prime of his career. Hopefully, Michelenko is the same. Dwight McNeil, hopefully, um, Anthony Gordon, uh, Nathan Patterson. You know, these are the, the, there's a foundation of a team there that they build on, and then they have the qualities who going forwards defensively, whatever. Even we're even forgetting about Ben Godfrey. 
He's still yeah. only young twenties. You know what I mean? He's not an old player by any means. So there's a lot there for Everton, but it does it does go to the outside of the pitch. There's been such a restructuring of Everton's team management. Director of football was new in the summer. The medical team's been overhauled. Everything has been overhauled at Everton. So I don't. I, I think we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves when they when they do go on a good run, because as you said earlier, those, those stats aren't there. You know, he's saying we're giving up chances and stuff like that. I think it should be a slow but steady wins the race with Everton. I think that's the that should be the the mantra for the time being. Because mm. let's be honest, we don't want to be risking Premier League football if we're going to that brand new stadium anyway. That was the big fear last season as one of them. Oh, we're going to be paying for the stadium. We might be a Championship club. I'd rather Everton was steady for two years, maybe pushing the top ten and building that team. So you know, we're going to brand new Mordock and there's a great team there of young players with two or three years of Premier League experience under the belts. That's what Everton should be doing. Yeah, it always feels like a little bit. It feels a little bit like early Moyes a little bit because we took a chance on Moyes, young manager coming from Preston. Yeah, you know I mean, and then he endeared himself to the fan base very quickly with a couple of sound bites that you put in. Yeah, you know I mean, Frank's Frank's endeared himself to the fan base. Yeah, you know I mean, and obviously we're building from the back as you should do when you're doing a restructure. Make yourselves hard to beat. It was, you know, I said to you, Mike, after the game yesterday, if that was Ten Hag United yesterday playing at Everton's team of last year under Rafa Benitez in particular before Christmas, we would have got battered yesterday. You know what I mean? They would have they would have walked through us. So, you know, we, we've certainly been a lot more solid. And like I said before, yeah, look, we still need to add goals to the team. We know that. But the good thing that I'm seeing is that with Thelwell coming in and with Frank as well, the players we've been linked with, you know, the likes of Kudis, the likes of Mudrick and players like that, players who are real, some of, some of Europe's top talents right there. You know, we, we were basically would have got Kudus over the line by all accounts if Anthony hadn't have gone to United. You know what I mean? So I'm glad that we're being linked with these sort of players now. You know, by all accounts, yes, some of them sometimes they're gambles, but if we'd have picked up Kudus for what would reportedly have been around about 12 million, I mean, that could have been a hell of a signing. You know what I mean? So for me, the signs are good that we are being linked with those sort of talents across Europe. Now, finally, the owners stopped playing football manager with our football club. You're spot on. You're spot on. The, the, the links this summer, especially late on, were really positive. You know, like Onana came in late, James Garner came in late. You know, two you know, really young young players. You mentioned their kudos, and and it's it's it shows a solid structure in terms of recruitment that we are in the mix for these players. And and it's a shame that I mean kudos especially. It, it was literally one step one step through the door, wasn't he? And it was just just didn't come off. Uh, but hopefully that can be resurrected. In January, Everton have, have given themselves a bit of room to, to do a bit of business. Then I'm sure. Um, but well, the strong links with Gakpo in January as well. Apparently, you know, I mean, he's, he he he'd be he'd be, be nice. unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, he, he started the season brilliant at PSV. They need the money by all accounts. They're skin. Um, obviously, we've got Brands in there who obviously you know um, we know we know very well. So you know he's got ten goals, nine assists this season already. Okay, it's not the same league, but as Max just. <laughs> Did with his facial expression there. I mean, he, he would be ideal, wouldn't he, if we could get him over the line? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to rain on the parade, but I don't give us much hope on that one. No, <laughs> no. I've, I've, got to, I've got to agree. I've got to Positivity, agree. mate. Positivity. <laughs> I mean, Last day I heard this morning was he was all down for Real Madrid. So uh, yeah. we'll see how, how that one plays out. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, still... Apple is above Leeds, don't get me wrong. We're, we're a much more attractive yeah. prospect than Leeds. But 
I think he's got higher ambitions and we think he thinks a bit bigger. And that all comes from Manchester United wanting him early and in the summer. They phoned him, there was conversations, it looked like it was happening and they never. So I think that's it in his head now. He thinks I'll stay at PSV and someone big will come for me at some point. But it, I, I agree with what Lee is saying in, in that we're targeting the right type of player. You know, that early 20s that we can develop. And even if we've got to sell them, I, I don't, I don't, I know a lot of Everton fans, we shouldn't be selling these type of players. We should be keeping them and building them around them. But Everton are in that position where they're, they're a de- developmental club for me. We take a young player, we turn them into a start. If they stay and we're, we're successful, great. If we make 60 million on them, like we did with Richarlison, great again, we carry on building. That's but So we are at least we're targeting the right type. I see you take I, it to the next level. That's how you yeah. take it to the next level all day, isn't it? Yeah, you, you look at Liverpool got ridiculous sum of money for Coutinho. You know, they, they took a gamble on him from Inter for next to nothing. They sold him running 50 million. They signed Van Dijk and Allison with that money. That just those two signings alone took him to a next level. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's how we've got to do it, whether we like it or not. Sadly, that's the, the only way we're going to compete with teams who are, you know, bankrolled in some cases by countries. <laughs> Yeah. No, you, I, I agree. I've I've been sort of banging that front for a little while. You know, we, if it means that we we bring players in for decent, like you know, okay money or bargains, and then sell them for for thirty or forty million pound profit, that's what the best. That's what the best side do. They all do it. But when you're in in the stage that we're in, we will need to do that. That's what we, that, that's what we need to bring players in that we can sell on for a profit to be able to then bring in another two and then keep on going like that. It's what it's what we need to do. Um, so that's where we are. And I've, I've been saying, you know, if we finish, I think we're going to be sort of 12th, 12th to 14th, really. And I think that would be OK. You know, I'd be f- fairly satisfied if we're pushing, like you said, mid-table would be, you know, 10th, 11th would be, I think, a, re- a real achievement for us because we've got to understand where we are. And I think a lot of people are now, a lot of fans are coming around to the fact that we are where we are. We're back in the team. We're back in the manager, and we, you know, these little signs, these little steps, two or three places a season, is a real positive, positive thing for us to to, to go and do. Especially after this, the wake up call, hopefully of of last season, because we certainly don't want, don't want to be in those in the around those places again. That is for sure. Because my my heart and my health cannot take that kind of season. I don't think uh, ever again. So let's let's. What I would on. say from last season, one of my big concerns at Everton was that we would get away with last season and no one would learn any lessons. Mm. So everyone, Mishiri, everyone else at the club would go, oh, we got away with that one, let's carry on, we're all right. And fortunately, it appears that everyone has had to sit down and gone, no, we can't let that happen again, let's let's do things properly. And I honestly would think that Everton is going as it should at Everton at the minute. The structure's there, the manager's sensible. That's another thing I, I do actually like about Lampard, he's not over-ambitious. He's not going, come on, we're going to go push for top eight, whatever, Europa League, Conference League. He is. He knows where Everton are. He knows what the issues are that need to be fixed. He knows that these, some of these players need to be developed. I mean, we all rave about Anana. Still 22, is he? Younger. Needs development. 20, you, know. 20. you know, these are players that are going to... It takes time. You can't have Everton at once. We're not signing... And, you know, we're not signing world beaters. Cody and Tarkowski have been, have, have been brilliant for Everton. But we weren't fighting off major competition for either of them players, were we? You know, we had to beat West Ham for Anana, but no one was rushing out to sign Dwight McNeil or Neil Mope. You know, it's where we are. Let's let's be calm about it and hope the structure that they've put in place now works. Yeah. Sadly, Sean, we live in a world of instant gratification these days. Exactly. So we need we need to, we need to try and steer away from that and just you know understand this is a marathon, not a sprint. 
Okay, well, and I mean the, the next the next test comes obviously on on Saturday against a, a Spurs side, obviously in the Champions League. Uh, Richarlison now now at Spurs, currently sitting third um, as well. So they started the season pretty well, and we're going to discuss that in the final part of the show. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Unholy Trinity podcast, and it's uh, it's Spurs Spurs up next, heading to uh, the London Stadium. Um, still, I still say they make the best pies. Every season I say this, best away pie. But what I will say is the pies outside Goodison at the moment are absolutely spectacular. It's a homemade pies. We were in the uh, in the fan zone. I had a nice little um, gammon, gammon leek and cheese last night. I'm working my way down the menu. I've had a few, I've had a few so far this season. So that's <laughs> that's been a real, a real addition. I've got to, I've got to be honest. Uh, but the we got shares in the mic. We got shares in the have you? Listen, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to any investment opportunities. You know, um, and I think they're going to go. They're going to go places. But it's um, lovely, lovely pie. Give it, give it a try. Give it a try. It's definitely, definitely worth it. Um, I think it, it was the it sounds very Henry VIII, that pie, gammon, leek and cheese. Well, it was called, so, I think it was called. Well, very, was very, called gout. Whole, very gout. Yeah, very gout. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was called the Holy Trinity, so it was very fit, actually, that I actually, uh, actually bought that pie. But it was, uh, it was lovely. I, I, haven't, I, haven't got, I haven't bought anything from the, any of the kiosks for a, for a number of years now. Did they still do the Scouse pie? They, they've got a Scouse pie on, actually. Yeah, it's quite nice. It's, it's, yeah. it's not like the one you used to get in the ground. Remember, remember the big massive scouse pies you used to get in the grounds? Not, not, not like them. They, they were foul. These ones, these ones are nice, but a bit of HP give you a bit of bit of uh, brown sauce as well. Lee, Lee got a bit of. I've got to tell this story. By the way, oh, I, was, no, I, was laughing, I was laughing. I was laughing at this. I couldn't believe. Right, we rocked off to the fan zone, and he whips out. What was it? A, a mint tea bag. He said a, a mint tea bag. He said. You think if I asked the one of the kiosk inside the ground for some hot water, that they give it to me for me for me mint tea bag. I don't have caffeine after he's like he's like buddy gizmo from the gremlins I don't have caffeine <laughs> after a certain time and i saw something and, and i said listen the best chance you've got is go to the homemade pies and see if they give you some hot water and there, there he was in the fan zone with his little his little mint tea so there's there's your modern match going fan for you um <laughs> i can't believe you rinsed me on that i can't believe you rinsed me on that <laughs> it, it was you said, that, we're having it. a good pie chat then and you've just thrown that in there haven't you? it just came into me head. i had to share it with everybody because that's an absolute, Speak, absolute speaking of pies though and one thing i really miss i don't know whether you boys have ever been but pie there used to be a place called pie on rose lane in liverpool pi and they did the best pies in the city so you'd basically go there you'd have this pie and they were all freshly made, steak and steak and ale, all, all of them, chicken, probably that gammon one you mentioned. You'd have a load of mash, mushy peas and gravy all over it. And then you'd have like a pint and they'd do all different types of ales in there as well. So bring back bring back pie on Rose Lane and close down, sadly. Uh, I'd have been really annoyed by that name. That's that's P.I., I know. It's a terrible pun. It's a terrible stick pun. Stick an eye on it. But, stick an e. But Sorry, any Sean, on it. Sean, just... Sean, the, the produce was amazing. And the only reason <laughs> they closed down, sadly, because they had their rent, they had their rent doubled up, sadly, and then they had to leave. But it was an institution in South Liverpool, that place. I thought we were discussing spares, right? <laughs> we spent more Great time pie about, chat. About, about different pies than we have about us playing spares. Great pie chat. Um, this should be a seg- segment every week, pie. <laughs> Pie of the week. We do a pie of the week. Anyone wants to send us any pies, by the way, to to to, uh, to try on the show, we are definitely we're definitely open for open for that kind of uh, that kind of deal as well. But, uh, but, back, <laughs> but back to back to Spurs. Um, obviously, very, you know, very very difficult to wait Of course, our five Saturday. Um, Max, it's 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 tricky, isn't it? Because 
like like Sean said earlier on, you know, this was the side that we were competing with Spurs only, you know, five, six years ago that we, we were we were fighting for similar positions in in the table, really. And and we've sort of gone one way, stagnated and, and gone backwards. And and they've gradually, you know, they obviously moved into a fantastic new stadium. Uh, there's been investments in the squad. He's obviously back in the Champions League this season as well. And it's it's quite um you know, you look at them and you and you're quite envious, aren't you, really, of where, where they've gone and the elevation that they've that they've they've gone on over the last few years. And you look at the squad they've got now, including obviously the Charles and you'll be signing in the summer, and they're a very, very strong side, aren't they? Yeah, most definitely. Um I am one that bangs that probably more than most in that the likes of I think particularly when I was um, in high school in particular, so like the 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 2010s, the likes of your, your Tottenham's, your Chelsea's, your Arsenal's and Liverpool to an extent, because I remember finishing above Liverpool a good few times under David Moyes. Um, you know, going forward, I always saw them as Everton's main competitors and rivals for, for places. Um, as you've alluded to there, um, they've all gone one way uh, and Everton have gone the other. But I think following on from that narrow narrow defeat against United, I think Tottenham are a great opposition. Um, I think it gives Lampard and that group of players the opportunity to show what they're made of. Um, like Sean said, the the varying degrees of criticism online following that defeat to Manchester United was pretty wild. Um, I did see, I, I, I sort of limited my amount of screen time following that game because I knew there'd be people that but like took the loss way out of proportion. So I think this is a great opportunity to for the the group of players to to answer critics. Um and it, it's a big challenge against a, a Spurs side that has started the season really strongly. Um and I, I'm not expecting Everton to, to run away with it at all. But uh, it would be great to see Everton be competitive in this game. Uh, and hopefully learn from their mistakes against Manchester United. We ran back a few months ago. We went to, to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Mm-hmm. And got got battered. 5-0. You know, Frank Lampard was in charge, wasn't he? Um, we were we, we were very open. We, we were quite naive in thinking in terms of our approach. Um, so, so sure, not again. You know, back, back to the manager here. We're talking about learning on, on the job. The, that, that's a good measuring stick for him, really, isn't it? In terms of... What has he learned from that game a few months ago in terms of being, you know, so open and expansive against the very good side? You know, do, do we expect and we hope that we, we are going to see a different kind of setup when we when we go there on uh, on Saturday night? To be honest, I would not be surprised if Everton sat back and let Tottenham come on them because Tottenham are not a good attacking team when they when they're given the ball and and attacking you. They want they want to counter attack at Antonio Conte's where they want to sit back. That you come on and counter attack with the Son, Kane, Kulusevski, Vichars, and whoever it may be. Their central midfield is a defensive central midfield. You know, Benton mm-hmm. Kerr. has got cut forward and got a couple of goals, you know, this season. And Koyberg's done the same. But, you know, there's no creativity in there. And you watch, you watch the, the game the, yesterday or the day before against Brighton. It was a 1-0, Kane's header. And Brighton didn't let them do what they wanted to do. So I do hope that Lampard has learned. You know, we go gunko, we're going to get caught out. But there's an opportunity there, definitely. Um, but it is, it's Lampard up against an elite level manager again, but no one's. And it, we're up against a team that's, you know, sent 60 million on the Charles and has got 
probably one of the best three forwards in world football and Harry Kane. Son's another one. Kulosevsky's great, you know, three great defenders in there as well. So it, it's one of them where I don't, if Everton don't win, I'm, I'm, I'm not upset. I'm not overly upset about it because I don't measure us against the likes of Tottenham. And those people, we're not at that level. We're not competing at that end of the table. But as Max was saying, I think it's, if Everton go and put a performance in, that's more important. You know, we if we show we, we're good, we can be better on the ball, we can be better defensively, we can deal with them. You know, if we lose 1-0, Harry Kane scores a screen, we'll tap it in somewhere, whatever. That, that's not upsetting. It's the performance that matters, not really the result for me. Yeah, what you yeah, what you I, alluded to? Sorry, sorry Lee, just just to add to that, right? What you alluded to earlier, I think, Sean, when you was what you were upset about in terms of the 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 United game it, it being Lampard's tactical mismanagement, it would be a great measuring stick for Lampard to go into this game with a measured approach to understand. Um, you know, if you play a high line against this Spurs side, you are going to get absolutely obliterated, like we did last season. So. Ultimately, if we do play a low block, soak in the pressure and hopefully look to hit them on the counter-attack with your Damari Grays, with your Anthony Gordons, um, maybe we can get a result that way. So I think for not just the players, but Lampard as well, to show that he's learned from that loss against United and Tottenham last season, this game is not a massive game, but it'd be important in that regard. I would put my mortgage on it right now that he will not play a high line against that team. Well, he made the mistake. Probably, he made the mistake. He would have said that last season, wouldn't you? You know, I think anyone with, with I know, a pair but of I think eyes then he, he, it was it was it was one of his first few games at the club, and I think he was trying to impress his style of football or the way he sees football onto our team. And then he realised quite quickly, going these these kids aren't up to it, so he had to change his style quite quickly. I think he learned from that, and he made us very much a pragmatic side after that. I think the Spurs game was a massive awakening for him. In terms of the level where we were as 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 a club, really, as as a bunch of players, mm-hmm. uh, we clearly see the style he wants us to play. He wants us to dominate the ball and dominate teams. But like Sean just alluded to, we're nowhere near the Spurs team, and and Spurs have obviously their front four would walk into our team. You know what I mean? Right now, I mean you know, they've all got a mixture of styles. Thankfully, Kuvaleski is is he is injured. I think he's done his mm-hmm. hamstring, so that that's a big. A big plus for us because he's a very clever player, lovely footballer, great balance. He, he offers something different to that team. We've got to hope Richarlison stays quiet. Um, obviously, he'll, he'll, he'll probably want to score against us, being our old club. I expect if he does, hopefully he doesn't, he won't celebrate because obviously his love for the club. But fingers crossed that we go into it and we are hard to beat. You know, we do sit off and we do deny them space because they, they have, like Sean was saying, they have struggled against teams. I've played a low block against him and said, go on, then break us down. You know what I mean? Harry Kane wants to spin, spin on the half turn and flip it over the top to Son. That's, what, that's, the, that's the way they want to score goals. If you deny them space and then have a bit of quality on the counter-attack, I think we could, we could cause them problems. But as we know, they, are, they will be big favourites going into the game. The third in the league, you know, they've had a reasonable start to the season. They've had a few blips here and there in terms of you know, potentially not being as free-scoring as, as, as they probably want to be. But, you know, we could get something. But I do think, I do genuinely think he will play that style of football, concede possession of the ball, sit off, and then hopefully have a little bit of quality going forward. What I will be interested to see what he does do, Gordon suspended for the game. Five yellow cards, by the way, in nine games, which is crazy. Uh, he lost his head a little bit yesterday. But um, mm. but I'd be very interested to see what he does down that right side. 
I, I, I don't know what you think. I mean, I don't know enough about James Garner, but he showed a little bit enough in me when he came on that he's got something about him. Could he possibly play on the right-hand side? You know, a few of my mates United fans and said he's got a hell of a cross on him, you know, almost Beckham-esque in the way he whips it. Um, I don't know. I know he's a central midfielder. We've bought him as a central midfielder. But it'll be interesting to see what he does. He may play McNeil because he knows McNeil is pretty diligent defensively. Um, I suspect he will go with that route. But I don't know. I don't know whether you guys know enough more about James Garner than me. Maybe he will possibly try and put him out to the right-hand side. Irrespective of that, I don't know if that's the correct tactical decision with the likes of Dyer and Romero. I'm not, not so much Davies, but Dyer and Romero in particular, who are renowned for getting their heads to things. Um, and if you think Calvert-Lewin won't be fit enough to start, it'll be Mopay in the middle, probably prompts the same issues that Everton had against Manchester United. But who knows? Uh, that's that's the beauty of the game, isn't it? Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, it'd be May nice come down to a set way. piece. May come down to a set piece. And by all accounts, this boy... He's got a hell of a delivery on him in terms of set pieces as well. And look, I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. I don't know enough about him. We don't know enough about him unless you're a Forest fan and you've watched all the, all, all the games that he played for them last season. By all accounts, he had a very good season. He was obviously in the team of the year at the championship level. So let, let's see. Let's see. Look, at the end of the day, at least he's got options now. You know what I mean, we didn't have a lot of options before. He turned around at some point and he's got five teenagers sitting on the bench. You know what I mean? So at least he's got more options to choose from. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be sorry, Max. I'd be very surprised if um, if Sean, Sean, just sorry, on here, if uh, James Garner comes in. You know, I, I think we are going to see more and more of him. I think we'll see more and more of him and getting longer periods of time off the bench for Atisa Garner, Gay, um, Amadou Nana. You know, Alex and we saw him drop back in right back yesterday uh, when when we made when we made our changes. So mm-hmm. um, I think we'll see more of him off the bench, but. I do think there will come a time, you know, this season, maybe earlier than we think, that he will start to get get some game time off the bench. I think we'll probably see him start that Bournemouth game in the cup, assuming that he's fit, um, and give him a go from there. I just can't see him playing wide, like because there is there's a lot of of, of this defensive responsibility, especially in that kind of game. So I think the Dwight McNeil coming in for in a, a straight swap for, for Anthony Gordon makes perfect sense, because obviously he he will. Track back. He, he's. I think he's not not bad defensively. Better than Anthony Gordon, I would say. Um, and he's. And I think he's. Uh, he, he's not not a bad a bad person to have. And then if it comes down to a set piece, I think we're seeing him now. I thought his, his corners late on yesterday were very very good. You know, Jordan Pickford was a whisker away. One of them. He was very very close. Threw himself like bloody Superman at one point to try and get to the ball. We probably should have scored off another one. Um, so you've got the danger of him. On the right hand side with his left foot. Um, Damari Gray, you know, we we know at times he puts he puts a wicked ball across the face of the six yard box. You've seen it time and again this season. We just need a little bit, a little bit more guile up there and, and a little bit more from, from our centre forward, really. But you know, will Dom get half an hour? Will he, will he get 20 minutes? Will we need them? I, I think I think we, we will see him again. But hopefully, you know, we can we can stick in the game really for for, for a long period and make sure that. You know, like 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 United. You know, we 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 weren't great first half, more so than second half. But in the 90th minute, we're pushing for an equaliser, and and could have really grabbed the points on on another day. That's a funny thing. As much as we we were nowhere near being the better side, we stuck in the game, and that's the difference, really, isn't it? The fact that in years gone by, we would have folded. 
we didn't fold. We didn't fold. We kept going. We, we weren't great, but we kept plugging away. We kept plugging away, made the changes, looked a bit more dangerous and, and could have got a point. Um, so it's going to be a really, a really tough game, isn't it? You know, they, they're a good side. They're, they've got quality throughout. You know, good players coming off the bench. A fantastic manager in, in Conte. Um, so it's, it's it's difficult to predict, really, isn't it? But like, like you said before, Sean, it's about the performance, isn't it? You know, not so much about... You know, do we lose the game one nil, two nil? If Everton put in a, a, a decent performance, and you can see that we are, we've learnt lessons from last season and learnt lessons from Manchester United as well. I might add, then you you can come away satisfied that that, that we are going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's important that Everton don't give away an early goal, don't give away something cheap, don't give away, you know, don't give them that chance because that forces us out then. To not play the tactics that I, I suspect Lampard will want to go with. He'll want to sit the hopes with them on the counter, F- frustrate them basically, because I don't think these are a very good team when it comes to creating. They've got players who can create, but not on the front foot. They want to do that counter attack and, you know, wing backs, get Kane on the turn, as Lee said, that sort of thing. And if we can stop that happening, that frustrates them, and especially at home, because they, they, they've got to be like that at home. And mm. I think you've seen that in the Europa League. Like they got beat by Sport and 2 2 0 away from home. Did you get Eintracht Frankfurt at home? West Ham got a point against them as well. If you can frustrate them, they haven't got a creative midfield. You know, they haven't got an Ericsson like Man United had last night, who will pick that pass, who will open those sort of things up. So, yeah, it is about that performance and not being naive would be the word for me. You know, don't give them what they want. Frustrate them, annoy them, you know, be that team. I I, I loved Everton under David Moyes when we would play that way. You know, we would we, we were smart about it. If we didn't think we could out-football them, we would out-compete them. So let's see, let's see them compete. Um, on that James Garner point, I've just looked up his stats. He's played one game in his entire career at left midfield, and that's it. So it would what be about a... right midfield, right mid. No, not none, none at all. No. Well, that's, that's an absolute awful shout from me then. So it would be, it would be a miracle if he comes in there and you know and does a job. To be fair, that could don't, be one. Don't get Lee and Frank Lampard here this week, for God's sake. Don't put that idea oh, you, in. You head. know, if I was a coach, man, I'd have about 10 number 10s on the pitch. Just... Yeah. No yeah. clue, me. No clue. But, you know, yeah. ha- having said that, he is a defensive midfielder. So if you're going to go with that defensive approach, maybe he does come in alongside Garner and you have the two sitting midfielders and, and a Wobi in front of them, maybe instead of an honor. I like an honor for his height and his competitive, but, you know, the option's there to do something different and not just be, you know, stick five at the back because I don't think that works. I think the the biggest, the most important thing is that if you're going to start Coleman, he's got to be protected because we saw last night he was getting run ragged. That Ronaldo goal, he was about 30 yards behind the play. He's out of position, he, he's struggling. And we haven't got someone else who'll come in there. I think that's the big loss with Mason Holgate and Ben Godfrey. They've got the pace and the athleticism that could have come in there and done a job for us. Coleman's really struggling. So I think that that is the weak area that we do need. And mm-hmm. that will probably see McNeil come in because he, he spent his whole career going backwards, apparently, hasn't he? So he yeah. should be used to it by now. I mean, the other option as well that you've got is you could always, if you're going to throw James Garner into the middle, you could always say to Alex, we'll be going to play on the right on the right wing or the left wing. And, and I know, obviously, not ideal. I say we saw him play right back for the time last night and it does take away from his game, but he will do his job, you know, in terms of defensively and, and you know, recovery and things like that, he can do that job. So the man just got options there is the key thing, really. Uh, but likely, you would see for me, uh, Dwight McNeil come in for... Frankie Gordon in a in a straight swap. Um, but all's left to, to do is get our predictions for the game. Max, what do you think? Uh, 
it's a shame you've come to me first because I'm not the most optimistic. Um, it's not going to be a, a case of damage limitation. I think Everton will have learned from their mistakes to an extent against Manchester United, but I think it's going to be 2-0 to Tottenham. I think they're going to have too much for Everton going forward. Um, Harry Kane will probably get his annual goal against Everton and uh, it would not surprise me to see Richarlison get on the score sheet either. Sean? Uh, yeah, I think I'm on the least optimistic as well. I, I, I actually think it'll be a 1-0. I think it'll be Kane. Kane will get a goal. Uh, if it was to be 2-0, I think it would do that Everton route of um, they score, we put loads of pressure on, have loads of great chances, don't score them, Harry Kane gets the second goal and it's over. I think so. <laughs> 1-0 or 2-0 for me as well to Tottenham. But, you know, I'm I'm here to be surprised. <laughs> Late. Yeah, it's hard to be optimistic in it. I, I, Tottenham are a good side. I think they will push the top four this season. I, I'm, I'm hoping there's really obviously Kane took a bit of a knock at the end of the game on his ankle there. So I'm just praying that uh, you know that he is out for the game. Um, we know how bad he is with ankle injuries. So there's an outside chance he could be missing. Um, let's hopefully that is the case. But um, I'm going to say one-one. I think we're a lot more solid this year, and I, I, you know even going into Southampton away game. OK, Southampton nowhere near Spurs level, but I feel now, because we, we just seem a lot more solid, particularly through the middle of the spine of the team, I just feel we have more of a chance in these types of games now in terms of being hard to beat. So I'm going to go a more optimistic 1-1. I was going to say the same, but I am being optimistic. I think I think if we, if we nick a point, I think it's a fantastic result. I really do, against a really, really strong side. Um, I think I think my my head probably says we're going to lose the game, but but my heart's saying saying one all. Um, and, and I think we've got to get him with Charleston's head. I don't I don't care what everyone's feelings are towards Charleston. By the way, doesn't doesn't play for us. So go and wind them up because we know we, we can know that he can react. So and, and no one knows more than the players who, who are going to be starting the game. The majority of them. So get into his head. You know, if he starts, then wind them up. Dead easy. Um, as much as we all we all love them, once a player goes for me. Listen, that's the end of the story. Um, so we know what we need to do there, but hopefully we can get something from the game. That's that's for sure. Because uh, obviously it doesn't get it doesn't get much easier because we'll be travelling to to uh, to St James's Park the, a few days later uh, at, at his agent Newcastle Newcastle United. So we've got to we've got to make sure we keep the points ticking over if we can. But again, like Sean said, improved performances. So we need to look at are we learning our lessons and, and are we are we looking to kick on in, in that respect? But that's us for this week. Uh, really enjoyable show. Also, have to say is thanks to Sean and, and Max for both taking the time on a on a Monday evening uh, to to speak to me and Lee. Pleasure Welcome. to speak to you, gents. And we'll be back next week, uh, looking back on that Spurs game on the Saturday night and looking ahead, like I said, to one of my least favourite teams, Newcastle United, and even more so nowadays. Um, so that'll be an interesting show. So we will catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.